We're continuing in our series in Ephesians chapter 6, so if you would please turn with me there. This morning we'll be focusing on verses 15 and 16, but I will begin by reading at verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, it is always good to be reminded that we have an enemy who never ceases to uh, make his attack against us. But it's even better to know that you have supplied us spiritual armor with which to stand against it. And by your grace to be victorious in the face of it. We thank you that these pieces of armor, so to speak, are are not uh, anything other than given by you. Therefore, they can be trusted. They accomplish the purpose for which you give them. And we show ourselves to be fools if we do not take them up. Grant us, therefore, an increasing sense of, uh, of urgency in understanding what your armor is and how we are to engage Uh, the uh, temptations and the uh, flaming missiles of the evil one with it, and in so doing, to bring you glory as we live more appropriately and closely and nearly like Jesus Christ. For we ask these things in his name. Amen. In the spring of 1994, Sweden's defense ministry determined that a Soviet submarine had violated Sweden's territorial waters. Uh, high-tech buoys had, uh, had picked up the, uh, the sounds, uh, some suspicious noises, and the military immediately launched a uh, submarine hunt in the Baltic Sea that took several weeks. Uh, it was interesting, the hunt didn't turn up any lurking submarines and uh, went on for about a year, not looking for submarines for a year, but sort of looking over the... Uh, uh, the sound that they had from those buoys. And, and then a year after they had picked up all that stuff, the uh, defense ministry with uh, egg on its face uh, had to admit that the high-tech buoys had picked up the sound of minks splashing in the water trying to catch fish to eat. <laughs> Apparently the, uh, the islands around Stockholm are just loaded with mink and uh, those frisky little critters uh, sounded just like a Soviet sub and gotten the... Uh, Defense ministry all in a tither. 
Well, you know as well as I do that when it comes to our enemies or comes to our fears, uh, our imaginations can run amok. Uh, it can take us away in an instant. It can catch us by surprise. All of a sudden, we're, we're far more deeply afraid or anxious or something than we ever imagined. It can get the best of us. But it's also good to be reminded that what we've been seeing in this text is that we do have an enemy, one who does lurk beneath the uh, level of our awareness. We have an enemy who is uh, secretive. He's skilled at deceiving us. And he hides his presence and his true intent. Scripture has named him the devil or Satan, Beelzebub. Pick your name, same guy. The simple fact of the matter is he is a a personal devil whose uh, deep desire, more than anything else, is first to keep us from Christ. And if he can't keep us from Christ, he wants to keep us from our joy in Christ. In this final section of Paul's letter, he has, as you know, uh, been telling us about these matters. And he began by saying in verse 10 that it begins with our being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, not in our own capacities, not in our own reserves. We simply do not have what it takes. And then he told us why. And simply because the devil and his minions are scheming against us, they're incessant in their attacks, and they are powerful. Powerful, and they can over, overcome us, overwhelm us at any given point. And he also goes on to say that in the face of such an enemy, God has given us armor, spiritual armor to put on, that we are to uh, be able to stand against the schemes of our enemy. And then he begins to list this armor that we're to put on, as we saw last week. The first two pieces are the, you know, the belt which, uh, into which we gird ourselves with truth. And the second was the breastplate of righteousness. This morning we're looking at the next two pieces found in verses 15 and 16, which are the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and the shield of faith. When you look at a text like this, in its whole, you recognize that it's easy for us to think, well, if you just have one piece or another piece, you'll do okay. But Paul really tells us that unless you've got it all on, You're in deep trouble. You can't just put on a couple pieces and think you can get away with it. That somehow you're going to be able to stand victorious against the schemes of your enemy. But then in fact we have to take it all. And it's fascinating as we go and see exactly what these pieces of armor are. We see how wise God is in providing us with each and every one of them. And just how important they are in their capacity To make us secure. So let's proceed. The first piece he mentions in the verses is feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Today we have shoes for just about everything, right? You got shoes for uh, dress shoes. You have uh, you have work boots. uh, You have uh, leisure shoes. Uh, If you play a sport, you have uh, special shoes for sports, uh, and, and sometimes several pairs of special shoes for sports. For instance, a a tennis player might have a pair for playing on concrete, another pair for playing on clay, another pair for playing on grass. Now, you look at all the, you know, the baseball, football, soccer teams, they each have at least two pairs of of cleats, one for artificial service, another for natural grass. And so there's no end to the kind of shoes that we can wear. 
because um, it's, it's really important that you have the right shoe for the right occasion. I mean, just ask any woman here what it's like if you go out with the wrong shoes on. Yeah, I mean, right? It's just as much a part of your ensemble as, as everything else is. Well, Paul recognizes that too, and he says that a soldier's shoes are in fact far more important than the shoes of an athlete or even our own. Because their very life could depend on them. As a, as a soldier marches across the hot roads or climbs sharp rocks or, or wades through streams with slippery rocks on them, as he walks through the desert or wherever he happens to be, he needs excellent foot protection. And the reason is not hard to find, of course, is it? Because if, you, if he gets blisters, if he gets cuts, if he gets sprains, it really weakens his position as a soldier. And sometimes they can't even stand because their feet have been so badly damaged. So excellent footwear for a soldier is a must. Ask anyone who's ever served. Now the image Paul has in mind, of course, is the Roman soldier. He's probably chained to one or had one right outside his door. And their war boot was really an interesting affair. It was, it was sort of a half boot with an open toe. And it was lashed to the, uh, to the ankle and to the, uh, to the calf with, uh, with leather thongs. And it was, a, uh, um, it was interesting as well because the bottom of the sole, if it was, was almost, it was impregnated with nails or, or other bits of metal to give it grip. Just the way, you know, athletes today have cleats on the bottom of their shoes. So whether they were climbing a slippery cliff or whether they had to stand firm on flat ground in battle and in hand-to-hand combat, their feet were solid because they had good solid boots and those boots had little nubs to keep them you know, steady where they were standing. Now Paul's point is that a Christian's spiritual footwear is equally important in our war against the schemes of the devil. Simple fact of the matter is we may, be, uh, we may be girded with truth on our loins. We may have on the, the breastplate of righteousness. But if our feet are not shod with the right shoes, with the preparation of the gospel of peace, we'll go down just as quickly as if we didn't have any of them on. Now many commentators will tell you that uh, this is a reference to preaching. We ought to be able to go out and be ready to preach and teach others about the gospel. The simple fact of the matter is Paul's not talking about preaching or teaching. He's talking about spiritual battles. And others would say, well, it's about about evangelizing, going out and evangelizing. But Paul says it's not about going out anywhere. It's not about walking or traveling. It's about standing firm. It's not about evangelizing. It's about fighting the devil. What it comes down to is this. If you understand what Paul means by the gospel of peace, you have a much better sense for why it is such an important piece of equipment. The gospel of peace that Paul refers to here is the good news that believers are at peace with God through Jesus Christ. Now the unsaved person, no matter what they say, has no real deep-seated sense of peace. There's always this, this sense of unease, this, this, this sense of angst, the sense that something's wrong, something's missing, something's not quite right. 
And they may go out and try and, you know, make it right through any kind of activity. They may go wild in the pursuit of it, hoping that money or knowledge or, or some sort of religious experience is going to get them pumped up enough so that they feel this peace. Or they may uh, just have this raging uh, awareness that life's not right. Or they may become desperate. But whatever they do, it never really gives them that deep-seated peace that is always there. The Christian, on the other hand, has a deep-seated peace, not because he sought it, but because Christ has given it to him when he was declared before God to be righteous in his sight on the basis of what Christ has done. And Paul tells us in Romans 5.1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. And that's what the Christian has that the non-Christian does not have. A deep sense of peace that cannot be shaken because it is given of God and rooted in what God has done in Jesus Christ. Now that's the point. Paul's saying here that when we are rooted in the peace we have with God through Christ, and that primarily means his peace at us. He's no longer at war with us. We sense that we're at peace with him too, but that's secondary. God has taken away his wrath, he's taken away his anger from us, and has replaced it with good favor and peace towards us. And Paul says when you are rooted in that, when you are sure of that, you have a standing when you are assaulted by the devil that cannot be replaced by anything else. Now, let me give you a practical test. Okay, They're, they're always helpful because our experience tends to um, confirm or deny an awful lot of, uh, of the scriptures. And uh, got to be careful when we think it denies it. Nevertheless, um, you know, it's easy for us to have our consciences accuse us of something. Whether rightly or wrongly, our conscience can uh, uh, come up and say, you know what, you did that, or you're thinking like that, or you've got that kind of attitude. What kind of Christian are you? I mean, after all, a real Christian wouldn't do that. How can it possibly be that God has forgiven you and God loves you when you're like that? But how do you answer that? Well, if you recognize that what Paul says in Romans 5.1 is that because you are justified by faith in Christ, you therefore have peace with God, you can say to your own conscience, be still. Be still. Unless it's a conviction of the Holy Spirit, shut up. God has declared me righteous in his sight, has given me his peace, has established peace with me, and my conscience be damned. Leave me alone. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, the evil one himself can plant thoughts there that are disturbing and distracting and simply have no ground or base in fact. So when the devil accuses us, when he deceives us, when he tries to distract us, we have to come back to the foundational truth that the peace we have with God is on the basis of God's declaration of our being made right with him through Jesus Christ by faith. And it's a beautiful thing. 
The second thing is that peace with God brings protection. Because when our enemy attacks us, we have to remember that, you know what? God was once at war with us. That's what the scriptures tell us. He was once at war with us. But now we are at peace with him. And he's promised to defend us. And so when we come to this, this whole section of Romans, or Ephesians chapter 6, we recognize that Paul's telling us we stand, what? Not in our own strength, but in the strength of God and his might. He's defending us. He's, he is equipping us. He is the one who will redeem us ultimately, finally and completely on the day of Christ's visitation. I love this passage in the end of Romans 8. Paul says basically, if God is for us, who is against us? If God is for us, who is against us? He says all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. And then he goes on to that beautiful passage. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. Amen. So when the devil attacks with accusations or a sense of his power and your inability to resist, you know that God is protecting you. And that's where our confidence is. Well, the next thing Paul says is that we are to take up the shield of faith which with, with which we were able to extinguish the flaming missiles of the evil one. I like this. The Roman soldiers used several different kinds of shields. The two most popular were a small round one about two and a half feet in diameter that they, they had strapped to, to their non-sword arm. So they had, if they were right-handed, they had their sword in their right hand and, and this little round shield so that they could defend against the blows, especially sword blows of, uh, of their enemy, of their, whoever they're fighting. But the other one, the one that Paul is talking about here, was a, more of a full body shield. It's about two and a half feet wide and it was about four and a half feet high. Men were smaller in those days, but they were meant literally to cover their entire body. And they were, uh, they were generally made of laminated wood, all right, and, uh, and on the outside they were first covered with a, with a thick, heavy linen and then an even thicker uh, uh, coating of, of leather, oiled leather, which could be soaked in water if necessary before they went into combat. At the top and the bottom it was banded by, uh, by iron uh, bars, and then in the middle it would have some sort of medallion or something like that, just, you know, I guess ornamentation or maybe to hold it together a little bit better. I don't know exactly. But uh, these soldiers would uh, hold them in front of their bodies. And, and if you're familiar with the famous Roman phalanx, you remember that sometimes they would have up to a mile of soldiers standing shoulder to shoulder with these full body shields in front of them facing their enemy. And behind them would be their archers. And they're javelin throwers. And so they formed a really impregnable wall. Anybody who crouched behind them was safe. Safe from the flaming arrows that were often shot at them by their enemies. In those days, uh, they had, uh, it was early form of napalm, I guess, in many respects. Uh, They would take their arrows and they would 
take these claws and, and wrap strips of cloth around the, around the tips, around the arrowhead. And then they would soak them in pitch. And then just before they were shot, they would light them. And those things, you ever, you ever see any of the old uh, uh, movies of, 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 of warfare in those times? You almost, you just see the, the sky almost goes black as these things go up and then down again. And of course, when they hit, they splatter. And they were deadly because, you know, they were wearing combustible clothing. They could, the soldier could be burned. And so these things were an incredible danger to both uh, the soldier himself, his equipment, and everything else. And they were, they were a formidable weapon. The most, the most reliable protection against those, uh, those arrows were these shields. Especially if the shields, the leather, had been soaked in water. Because what would happen is these arrows would come down. They would hit the leather and sink in and then fizzle out. Because the water would put out the the fire. Now Paul is basically saying that the, the flaming arrows that the evil one shoots at us are the kinds of temptations that, that come to us every single day. He bombards us with temptations to immorality, to hatred, to envy, to anger, to covetousness, to pride, to doubt, to fear, despair, to trust, everything. He's just launching these missiles at us like crazy. The sky is black with them, quite literally. We have to remember where they all came from. They all came from the serpent in the garden whose first fiery missile was shot at Adam and Eve. And it was basically the temptation to forsake the truth of God and believe a lie, which every single temptation is rooted in. So this is the picture Paul presents us. Here we are standing shoulder to shoulder as the people of God, and all of a sudden you look up and the sky is black with these flaming arrows these flaming missiles that the evil one is shooting at us because we are God's people. And what are we, are, what are we to do? To raise those shields of faith so that those arrows are extinguished. In fact, John says the very same thing. He says, this is the victory that overcomes the world. He says, it's our faith. Now, the shield of faith that Paul's referring to is not the... Not the Christian beliefs that we find in Scripture. When John Patton was uh, was a missionary in the South Pacific, uh, he was uh, tr- really he was trying to translate uh, the uh, the Gospels into the the uh, language of uh, that tribe, and uh, he could not figure out what to do about faith because they didn't have a word for faith in that tribe. And uh, one day he was he was literally working on that problem in his in his uh, hut. And one, one of these uh, men that you know, lived there came running across, comes puffing and puffing into his, his, uh, his living room, plops down on a chair and says, I am so glad to have a f- my full weight on this chair. And Patton immediately figured, ah, he says, I'll translate faith as resting one's whole weight on God. 
And that's what Paul is talking about when he's talking about faith. It is resting the whole weight of our circumstances, our situation, our concerns, our needs on God and the truth of his word. Now, there are lots of ways we can do that. For instance, uh, when the flaming arrows of circumstances come at us. There are fiery trials awaiting everybody in this life, whether it's illness, tragedies, persecution, doesn't matter uh, where it comes from. But Satan's going to launch those arrows that make us want to doubt God's goodness, God's wisdom in what he's, uh, what he's doing or allowing, the truth of the gospel, maybe even his existence. But faith, faith rests on the fact that what scripture teaches is true. And that God has given us a future and a hope. We are not to deny that, that in every circumstance, God's good providence is being worked out. And even though we can't see it, his protection is present. Just the the way his angels surrounded Elisha at Dothan. And his, his servant couldn't see it, but Elisha could. And he was confident There are flaming arrows that come from our Christian brothers and sisters. Don't exactly know how it happens, but you know what? The evil one seems to be able to take our own Christian brothers and sisters and get them to dip some arrows into pitch, light them, and shoot them at us. Isn't it true? Every one of us has been hurt, deeply hurt sometimes by our own Christian brothers and sisters. Their insensitivity, something they've said, something we've misunderstood. But the scriptures remind us that, you know what? We have been forgiven much by God. And the graciousness with which we are to greet our brothers and sisters, even though they have hurt us, offended us, let us down, is required of us. We have to do that. And the only way we can do that is if we believe the teaching of Scripture that none of us is any better than the other. That we all fail. We fail God, we fail each other every single day. But it is His grace given to us and through us to one another that is meant to carry the day, not our failures. Then there are the arrows that we actually like. Okay, we don't want to admit it, but pride, vanity, self-love. You know, some of those arrows we just don't mind getting shot with because they, they stroke the, the narcissist within us. But the scriptures remind us that the truth about ourselves is that we are Sinners. Sinners. In and of ourselves, nothing. And that we need to embrace what we are in Jesus Christ. And for his sake, be glad. I think it's fair to say that in every one of our lives, there are multiple thousands of flaming missiles being shot at us over the course of our lives. But the answer, Paul says, is faith. And the reason is, is that this faith which, which clings to God, this, this faith which trusts him enough to lay our entire weight upon him, upon him alone, 
draws us by its very nature closer to him. And there is the place that we find shelter. There is the place that we find hope. There is the place that our peace and joy is renewed. Man was riding the number two bus of the Chicago Transit Authority in, you got it, Chicago. And, uh, and as he looked around, he recognized that there were a bunch of tired office workers headed home, half of them just kind of dozing. He said another part of the bus, there were a bunch of just some rowdy punks that, you know, just uh, doing their thing. He says, and then there were some very affluent shoppers, you know, they were coming home, it was near Christmas time, and they had all their bags and their packages. And he says they, they stopped at uh, Clark and Webster. And two men and a woman got on. And it turns out that the the driver, who was a very seasoned veteran, suddenly bellowed, everybody watch your valuables. Three pickpockets have just gotten on the bus. And immediately, the women clutched their purses and the things that they had bought. The men made sure that they had their wallets in their pockets. And the three people that got on, the two men and a woman, looked rather incensed and a bit embarrassed, proceeded down the center of the bus and then got off. You know, they, they had those middle doors. They didn't even bother going another stop. They got off immediately. The Bible warns us to be vigilant because we do have an enemy. And I want to encourage you to, to take all the armor that we've looked at so far and we'll look at in the next couple of weeks and put it on and find out exactly why it is so powerful to protect you. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, eternally grateful for your provision for us of all things that we need for this life and the life to come all given to us in and through uh, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would continue to school us in these things and that we would, by your grace, continue to uh, grow in maturity and in every way to uh, better represent you and uh, carry forth your purposes in the advancing of your kingdom in this world so far as you have called us to participate in it. Do these things, we pray. Renew our faith, our hope, our love and keep us safe Lord in this armor that you provide us for our enemy is strong he is smarter than we are but he's no match for you the living God our God and Father we thank you for these things in Jesus name Amen